at some point you just have to make up your mind um, that sitting home and feeling sorry for myself or yourself doesn't get you anywhere. Um, that there was lots of things I could still do. If you can focus on what you still do, because we all lose skills over the course of our life. We're not the same people that we were in our 20s where we could climb up mountains or you know, squat down on the floor and you know, with ease, get up. Um, every our, our bodies change, our you know, and our abilities change. And so part of life is is letting go of the things that don't bless us or that are harder for us and looking at new possibilities. And when we do that, it's shifting gears um, from why me to what next. Welcome to the All's Authors Podcast. We're so glad you found us. I'm Marianne Shuko, a registered nurse, author, and dementia daughter. Join me each week to listen to one of our authors talk about their dementia journey, sharing intimate details and painfully obtained knowledge to help others currently on that path. We hope these stories offer you comfort and support as we strive to break the silence and stigma surrounding a dementia diagnosis. May one of our authors speak to your experience. Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent views of the Hold Care Network. Always consult your physician for medical and fitness advice and always consult your attorney for legal advice. And thank you for listening to the Whole Care Network. The Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hewling Hummel is an Alzheimer's artist, author, and advocate. She is the author of Unmasking Alzheimer's, The Memories Behind the Mask, a collection of photos of the 36 masks she created as a participant in an arts program called Art Reflects, for those living with memory loss and their care partners. Cynthia says she started with one mask and couldn't stop. Each one reveals a story that speaks to her experience of living with early onset Alzheimer's. She hopes that her mask collection will travel around the country and provide a better understanding of the challenges of living with a cognitive disorder. She also hopes that it will reduce the stigma of a dementia diagnosis and serve as a catalyst for opening discussions about the condition. Cynthia was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment in 2011. This changed to clinical Alzheimer's in 2016. She does not let her diagnosis stop her. In fact, she does everything she can to raise awareness and funds for research and support services for those living with memory conditions. She's enrolled in several clinical trials and urges everyone to learn more at trialmatch.alls.org. She loves public speaking and has given more than 50 talks to community groups. A former pastor, she especially enjoys speaking to faith communities on how to be more dementia friendly. In this episode, we discuss how life doesn't stop after an Alzheimer's diagnosis, her new ministry as an advocate for those living with dementia, and her exhaustive schedule of activities filled with the arts, education, and many surprising adventures. 
Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the All's Authors Podcast. How are you today? Good. It's so nice to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I was looking at your um, All's Authors blog post today, earlier on, looking at your um, book about all the masks. Oh, yeah. I brought it. <laughs> oh, I My, see that. It's yeah, awesome. Just, yeah. It's really interesting um, how this book came to be. It's, it started with an art class called Art Reflex for people mm-hmm. living with dementia and care partners. And we went to the class and one day there were masks at the table where we were going to do art and it was decorate the mask. And so we all had the opportunity to paint or use decoupage or whatever to decorate our masks. That day, I don't know what, um, you know, got me doing this, but I decided I would make a mask about what it felt like to live with Alzheimer's. And so I made my mask and it was a great class. And then I went home and I started making more masks. I ordered masks from uh, Amazon and I made um, 12 masks and then uh, 24 masks and I'm up to 36 masks and um, they've been on display um, locally and internationally. They were at the National Gallery of Art in Stockholm. But people said to me, gosh, um, these are, are so amazing. Why don't you take pictures of them and put them in a book? Mm -hmm. So that's how um, unmasking Alzheimer's came to be because of that one art class and that one mask. And it was, as I started thinking about Alzheimer's, I wanted people to understand how it feels for me. We're all different, but for me, how it feels to live with this disease. And um, so that's how I got to that. Okay. And can you explain to us, like describe what that first mask looks like because people can't see it. They can't see it. Well, I pulled out a mask today um, and I'm not sure if this, this was not the first mask. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure what the first mask was. I might have to go back and ask the teacher, but this Mm -hmm. one is one of my masks. And um, this is love remembers. And um, I was thinking about my journey with Alzheimer's and, and as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to be with many people over the years who've had um, an, uh, an Alzheimer's or another dementia. And um, it's been my experience that they may, folks may not remember somebody's name or they may not re- recall the details of conversations or, or situations in life. And I know I struggle with this, but deep in my heart, my experience has been that the love remembers, the love inside the person is connected to the love with the people that they're with. And so I noticed this with my mom as as she forgot my name, my mom had Alzheimer's and passed away from Alzheimer's. But as she um, forgot my name, she knew I was somebody that loved her and that she loved me. And so that's what, why this mask, why I created this mask. And then I thought about my faith tradition, which tells me, even though I may not remember my name or other names, that God remembers me and God remembers us. And um, there's a passage in scripture about God writing our names on the palm of his hand. And I just love that image of about the the love is something that survives even when the memories don't. So this is just an example of, you know, some of my masks are very upbeat and um, some of them are a little hard to look at. Mm -hmm. I can remember I had a big exhibit of 30, my 36 masks up and there was a lady standing in front of the masks. And I, I noticed she was just crying. And I kind of went up just to chat with her. I knew her. 
and um, kind of put my arm around her. I said, do you want to talk about it? And she said, I'm reading your descriptions because each of the masks in my book has a description of why I created that mask, what triggered that mask. And she was reading these descriptions and she said, I never asked my husband. I never asked him how he felt. And when I read about what you're feeling and when I read about the struggles that you have, I, I feel terrible as a caregiver. And I just gave her a big hug and I said, oh my goodness, um, please don't look at it that way. You, you loved your husband dearly. You were always there for him. Um, you know, you, you gave him all your love and all your care. Um, and I tried to help her reframe that, but she kept coming back to, if we had something like these masks, maybe we could have talked about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of another reason for, for creating a book with the images so that people could go to the book and, and look at it together. And a care partner could say, gosh, this is an interesting picture, you know, and, and it, there's a picture I call it the swimmer. I love to swim, but you know, you could have a conversation about my golly, I wonder what are those for eyes? You know, those look like shells. And then um, I've seen this um, kind of interaction then it because of, you know, oh, I remember a time I picked up a shell at the beach and then it can lead to other conversations. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have to read the story, but the stories are there for how I experienced it and why I created that mask on that day. My daughter came home one weekend unexpectedly. I had all my masks out on the table, all 36 of them. They were all spread out um, on every surface. And she was like, oh, mom, uh, do we have to talk? Uh, because some of them um, are hard to look at. Um, there's a, one that I call sponge brain. Um, do I have that one marked? I think I do. Yeah. I can read you what it says about sponge brain. I took one of those um, bath sponges. Oh, yeah. And I, um, right. And I, um, it says sponge brain. It's number 12. I created this brain sculpture to illustrate how my brain feels like a sponge, that it's not capable of holding on to any new information. It's sad, but it's my constant reality. It's as if my memories have fallen out of my brain or as though a small creature has nibbled holes in my brain. I have more spaces than I have brain cells. It's a very bleak situation. You'll notice some dark diseased areas in my brain to illustrate how each person is different and each person's experience of living with Alzheimer's disease or another dementia is a unique journey. This mask also reminds me that after my death, my brain is going to the University of Rochester to be autopsied and the doctors will slice my brain and study it as they look to unravel what causes Alzheimer's disease, as they look for treatment options and ways to prevent it. So wow, each one amazing. of my, yeah, each one of my masks, this one's a cheerful one. Um, I love that one. That's forget-me-nots. And so that oh. has a story about forget-me-nots. This one's a feather in your cap. And I was thinking about all the accolades I've received throughout my life. Most of us have had accolades of one sort or another, making honor society or, you know, getting an award for community service. 
but it doesn't matter how many accolades we have. Alzheimer's is one of those diseases that it doesn't care how rich we are or poor we are or the status. Um, it affects people across all walks of life. And so, um, you know, that's just um, how it is. So anyway, um, I, I've led some mask making workshops. That's been kind of a fun thing where I've I've gone to um, different places and we've gotten the masks ahead of time and, and people are invited to do whatever they want with their mask. Um, they don't have to make it um, around a disease, although it, it could be very healing um, for somebody who's, who's working through a problem. Wow, that's fantastic. I just wanna say that um, I'm going to describe the mask. First mask that you held up, the mask is a face, yeah. like a mannequin almost, and you have affixed to it hearts, heart-shaped gems, they look like, mm -hmm. all over the forehead and, yeah. and on the cheeks, and they're to represent that love remembers. Yes. The second mask um, has, again, a face with a sponge. It looks like a sea sponge. Yeah, a sea sponge uh, across the forehead. And the third mask is um, the face again, but with a mass of forget-me-nots going across the forehead. And those were the masks. And you read to us about the sponge. That was wonderful. I like that. So um, I encourage people to yeah. get the book so that you can see exactly what we're talking about and get a little bit of insight because yeah. I think this is a beautiful expression of what's going on with you. And I think a lot of caregivers and family members and even medical professionals and healthcare providers would benefit from taking a look at the artwork and then reading the stories that go along with them to try to get some insight into what it's like to live with this disease because there are very few people who are telling us what this is like. And we need to, we, we need to hang on to that. It's very important. So I appreciate you doing that for us today, Cynthia. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share this. And I think um, I want to just emphasize how, how um, important the arts are for me. Um, they're um, not only relaxing to make art, um, but they help me process what I'm feeling. And I, I've heard that time and time again with others who are living with um, Alzheimer's or another dementia, that um, whether it be singing or listening to music or dancing, the creative arts. I started painting just a few years ago, mm -hmm. just um, after my diagnosis. And it's just been a wonderful way for me to express myself. Photography as well, I enjoy taking pictures. And um, it's just a, a way to um, celebrate wellness and to, to stay connected with other people, sharing pictures and sharing art and, and having the opportunity to display it and talk about it. That's amazing. So you have an amazing life. I think you've probably always had an amazing life, but since your dementia diagnosis, you have not stopped. Can you tell us a little bit about what's the day in your life. Can you describe that? Oh, 
Thanks. Um, I try to stay as busy as possible. My mom, when we were growing up, used to say, you know, if you can't think of something to do, I'll find you something to do. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I also felt like for me, part of my wellness was staying busy, staying engaged. So I take classes at Elmira College. I'm at my um, in my 10th year on my 40th class. And um, this, wow. this semester, I'm taking a class on the uh, history of pandemics in the world. And I don't remember squat. Um, I do not buy the books because I can't read books anymore. But I enjoy going to the college to be part of uh, the class and listen to the lectures and participate and, and enjoy some of the other Um, activities on campus. Elmira College has been very, very good to me over the years, and I'm so blessed I can even walk to campus. It's just a few blocks from my house. Um, I like to swim. I try to swim at least three days a week minimum. Um, I like to swim laps at the Y, and um, my longest swim is 1.2 miles. Um, I did it a couple of summers now in a row to raise money for hospice care. Um, Mm -hmm. I enjoy singing and during the pandemic went online with music. I sing in a band um, called Country Magic. I also sing in a choir. The choir's kind of been put on pause for a while um, because of the difficulty um, with the spread of the the disease, but um, singing makes me happy. And my church that I served for, for a number of years invited me back to do a weekly sing. And so I did that on Facebook throughout the pandemic once a week. I would either sing for the children, do kind of a kid's show, or um, a hymn sing for the grown-ups. So I, I just try to fill my day um, with meaningful activities. I'm a, very involved in um, research advocacy, research and advocacy. Um, I'm on lots of different um, committees, national committees. Right now I'm serving on the National Advisory Council on Aging. That's the group that um, gives out research grants. Um, I served on um, the National Alzheimer's Project Council. Um, I've, I do lots of, of research projects because research fascinates me. I've been in a project a research study for 12 years now um, wow. where I go every year and they study my brain. They're watching the changes in the, um, in the structure of my brain um, versus my, my, um, my struggles, my challenges with with um, my cognitive symptoms, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have like an exhausting schedule. I think anybody would become exhausted. Um, I try to stay busy because if I'm staying busy, I'm not sitting around and feeling sorry for myself, mm-hmm. um, which is what I did in the beginning when I first got my diagnosis. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of planned out my whole life and then um, this disease came along and, and um, disrupted those plans. But um, once I got to the point of acceptance, then I was able to reframe the experience. And I think about this as my new ministry and the blessings that I've uh, been able to um, receive by accepting where I am and moving forward. If that makes and sense. And when were you diagnosed? Um, I, it took me eight years to get diagnosed. Oh my goodness. I started having problems when I was 49. Um, I was pastoring a busy little church in upstate New York. And um, mm-hmm. I went to the doctors because something was wrong. Because I couldn't remember parishioners' names. I couldn't remember what they told me. I forgot meetings. Um, and 
you know, I started trying to figure out why. And the doctors had a lot of reasons, you know, it might be menopause, might be a head injury I had, might have been an exposure to, to a toxin. But there were lots of theories, thyroid, but nothing really landed. And then I moved to a new parish. And believe it or not, my problems moved with me. You know, they just kind of <laughs> followed me to my new parish. And the same struggles, you know, where I just, I tried so hard to remember people's names and faces. And I tell people it all came to a head on the day, the day that I got lost on the way to the cemetery. I was supposed to do a memorial service at the cemetery and I couldn't find it. We only have one cemetery in town. Couldn't find it that day. Um, and it was horrifying because I, I had a family waiting and I had to call the florist to get directions. He thought I was joking. But anyway, it sent me for more testing, neuropsychological testing and other tests. And um, when all the results came back, my new doctor said, this is what you've got. You've got amnestic, mild cognitive impairment due to Alzheimer's disease. Um, and, you know, my mother, as I said, had Alzheimer's and died from Alzheimer's. She had one brother who also died from Alzheimer's. Um, okay. I have two copies of a, a gene they call APOE4, and um, that puts people at a higher risk for Alzheimer's. So it wasn't a, a surprise, but it was a sadness. As I said, I couldn't remember what I'd read in books. I, I couldn't follow TV shows. I was getting lost in my car, you know. Um, so I had to, I basically had to leave parish ministry because I couldn't do what I was called to do. And when you're the pastor of a church, it's like being the CEO of a big company. You're involved in, in all the different um, aspects. And I just couldn't do it anymore. It was too much. And I spent all my days trying to figure out what I'd forgotten and, you know, checking things off. And it was just really stressful. And so I, the church was so good to me. And um, I moved out of the manse into a new town, into a new life. And I saw an ad in the paper for a, a class, eight weeks with the Alzheimer's Association. And I thought, well, if I've got Alzheimer's, if this is due to Alzheimer's, then I better, I better um, go to this class. And so I did. Um, and I sat in the parking lot and I cried because <laughs> I didn't want to mm -hmm. go in. I just felt so sad. And then when I went in, somebody said, isn't there anybody who will be with you? And that, of course, just made me feel worse. I live alone. Um, and sometimes people um, use that in a way that's not helpful. You know, isn't there anyone? <laughs> you know, just make bring me down another notch. But, mm. but because I live alone, I'm forced to take care of myself. You know, I have to come up with the strategies. At some point, yes. I'll have to go into a nursing home. I know that. Um, and so laying out those plans, um, getting that out of the way, then I can focus on, on the other things like making music, mm -hmm. making art, volunteering, volunteering is the best medicine that there is. I, yes. I really do believe that because when we help other people, we help ourselves. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that you chose to move at that time in your life. And I know that many of the other authors that I've interviewed have done the same. So what was that like trying to get relocated in, in a new community when you had already been diagnosed? It was hard. I mean, it's hard to move anyway. It's leaving a job, mm -hmm. leaving the, the home I was in because it was the church's house. They needed that for their next pastor. 
Okay. And so they yeah. weren't pushing me out. They said, stay until you, you know, find a new place. And, and they were very helpful. They helped me with my on moving day, but it was hard moving to a new community because I, I only knew one person in this town that I moved to, but I wanted it to be relatively close to my doctors. And um, the other thing about when you leave a church in my tradition, the Presbyterian church, you don't go back to that church. Um, you know, there's a separation so that the members of the congregation can bond to the new pastor. So I was really on my own and I had to really push myself to, um, to start activities. So I signed up to, uh, to be in a yoga class. I thought that'll give me a place to make friends. Signed up at the college. Um, I, there's a performing arts center in my town and they were looking for volunteers, um, people who would bartend. And I thought, I can pour a beer, I can pour a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I could do that. You know, it wasn't like I had to remember recipes or anything. Um, so I looked mm-hmm. for places where I could fit in, but it was hard because I couldn't remember names and faces. So I, I would ask people if I could take their picture and then I'd write their name down. Um, you know, I did what I could, but it wasn't easy. Um, but at some point you just have to make up your mind um, that sitting home and feeling sorry for myself or yourself doesn't get you anywhere. Um, that there was lots of things I could still do. If you can focus on what you still do, because we all lose skills over the course of our life. We're not the same people that we were in our twenties where we could climb up mountains or, you know, squat down on the floor, and, you know, with ease, get up. Um, every, our, our bodies change our, you know, and our abilities change. And so part of life is, is letting go of the things that don't bless us or that are harder for us and looking at new possibilities. And when we do that, it's shifting gears um, from why me to what next. I think it, it opens the possibilities for a, a life of joy, a life of service. We're going to take a quick break, so please stay with us. When you're caring for someone with Alzheimer's, it's normal to feel alone. Searching for answers to daily struggles and challenges and not finding solutions is also normal. There are books and Facebook pages galore, but when you're caring for someone with such a debilitating disease, time is a precious resource. I know, my mom had Alzheimer's for about 20 years and I was her primary caregiver for the last three of them. I searched for solutions and a little bit of hope but answers didn't come easily. One day I realized a podcast might be the solution to that struggle, only there weren't very many options. So I created the Fading Memories podcast. My name is Jennifer and I talk to people who have the answers to the questions that regularly frustrate caregivers. Join us weekly wherever you get your podcasts for information, inspiration, and honestly, some very needed laughs. You also um, said that you do some advocacy work. What kind of organizations are you working with? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm very involved with Dementia Action Alliance, DAA, and you can visit the website, DAA.org. Um, and then um, I'm connected with the Alzheimer's Association. I'm on several national committees. I'm working right now on a project that's um, has to do with nomenclature 
what we call these diseases that um, affect adults, these cognitive diseases, and what's what the terms are used, because there's a lot of stigma around cognitive diseases, cognitive impairments, dementia, right. Alzheimer's. And many times people will tell me that they, um, they have the same symptoms as me or that I, but they won't tell their doctor because of the they're so afraid of what will happen next. Will their license be taken from them? Will they lose their job? Will their um, kids take the keys? You know, there's a lot of stigma um, around disease. People tend to look at um, those labels, those um, diagnoses as the end stages, you know, that you walk into the doctor's office with some complaints and you walk out and they've got you in the nursing home um, in their mind, you know, well, you can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think many times it comes from a, a place of caring and love, but it's a little overprotection. Um, mm-hmm. so that's very, that's true. We've been, I've been told that by a lot of different authors who have said that the family in for all good reasons and out of love, try to protect and help the person do many simple things that they should be doing for themselves. And then if you're not being permitted to, like put on your own coat or tie your own shoes, you're going to figure out how to do those exactly. things. And then they're, it's going to be their job. Right. It's learned helplessness. So, uh, exactly. Learned helplessness. That doesn't help. Right. So, I mean, I have to take out my garbage if it, no one comes to the door right. and say, it's here and I'm here to take out your garbage. No, no I've got to do it. Um, and that's good. It's good for me. That's It's good for all of us to have jobs to do and to, um, mm-hmm. to you know, keep pushing ourselves. How long have you been living with this illness? Well, let's see. Um, I started having it when I was um, 49 in 2003. So, but I wasn't diagnosed until 2011. I mean, I had problems. I just didn't know why. Um, And so, yeah, a while. Um, And people can live with Alzheimer's um, for 20 years, longer. Um, I think that, that what has happened in the past is, is we wait till things are so serious that people are then go to their doctor and then get the diagnosis. But meanwhile, it's not like they went to bed one night and woke up the next day, um, that it's right. a progressive disease and it kind of inches along. Some people, of course, progress more quickly. So when I asked my doctor way back in 2011, what he thought, he said, well, three years, maybe longer. And it's like, I'm going for maybe longer. What do I have to do? And so it's like, you have to exercise. Okay, I can do that. I can make sure I eat correctly, get a good night's sleep, you know, avoid stressful situations, um, stay socially active and engaged, um, you know, to, to take care of those things, um, build up your cognitive reserve, you know, try to push yourself to learn something new. Um, those are all things that maybe extend that period of time. That's good advice. I'm sure many of our listeners are paying attention to that. Have you always been a native New Yorker? Oh, gosh, no. I, I've moved all around the country. My um, my dad was with a phone company. So um, I was born in Rhode Island. We moved to Michigan, lived several places in Michigan as the phone company moved him then to the Washington, D.C. area. I grew up in Maryland and oh, we moved to uh, uh, Maryland to New Jersey and then um, after I graduated from college, I lived two years in Jamaica as a Peace Corps volunteer and then oh um, back to New Jersey and then to upstate New York where, when I was called to be the pastor of 
of the church in Lyons, New York. That was 25 years oh. ago. Yeah, I've been a pastor 25 years. Wow, that's a, quite a while. Yeah. Do you recognize the uh, photograph behind me? I do not. <laughs> that's New York. Uh, well, I'm in New York, too. Are you? What part? I'm in, yeah, I'm in the Hudson Valley. It's beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Are your leaves all changing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This picture is from, I don't know, a while ago. But you can see the river behind me. That's the Hudson River. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you're up in the Finger Lakes. I've been up there and I love it up there. My husband's cousin um, bought a bed and breakfast up there. Mm-hmm. So that's in Seneca Lake. That's a beautiful lake. All it. the lakes are beautiful, like the fingers of yeah. a hand. But there's a river that runs through Elmira and um, the Shemung River. And I decided when I moved here, uh, people were doing a lot of boating that I would buy myself a kayak. And so I would learn how to kayak. Um, and so I, I went to the group that's local and I said, you know, where can I kayak? Can you show me how to do this? And um, so that's, that started that interesting adventure of kayaking. Um, so I was always looking for d- different things I could try. Mm-hmm. Are you still kayaking? I am. I am kayaking. Oh, that's wonderful. This summer I did something really cool. I brought my kayak up to the Erie Canal and I decided it would be pretty cool to be on the canal and to go through the locks. And I knew a guy who was a lock keeper and I thought, well, you know, um, that would be a fun adventure. So I try to look for um, adventures. I think um, it makes life interesting. It sure does for anybody. Yeah. Um, you're a very unique woman. I like that. Um, I think that a lot of people in your position, and maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of women in your position might not be as adventurous as you. Maybe it's because you've always lived on your own. But I, I have known stories of people who tend to insulate themselves and keep a smaller life, but you just are out there. And I mean, that's fantastic. Um, You're an inspiration to anybody, oh my to gosh. anybody, regardless of Alzheimer's or not. Well, I mean, I think that we all have um, days that are brighter and we all have days that are a little mm-hmm. harder to get through. Um, but my mom, I just keep her wisdom is so um, remarkable to me because it's really sustained me because she'd say something no one ever promised you a rose garden I did one of my masks Mm -hmm. on that and I covered it with roses and her point was that everybody has aches and pains everybody has problems everybody at some point in their life has disappointments and tragedies and heartache heartbreak and I've learned this as a pastor Um, and um, if we can move um, to a place of of acceptance um, that that other people have struggles and we're not the only ones. If we can find our community, if we can find others that maybe that we could help along the way with the wisdom that we've learned, um, that just helps everybody. I just, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really have been blessed by this strange journey that I'm on. Yes, it's truly remarkable. I think you pretty much answered the question of how do you cope in your self-care activity? Was, was there anything you wanted to add to that? How do you self-care? How do I self-care? Well, um, in addition to doing the things that really are important self-care wise, I make sure that I, 
I um, see my doctor, you know, I, I, whenever I have a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment, I, cause I have to manage my own medical stuff. So I have to work with my doctors um, and, and I ask them all um, for, for three reminders. You know, I need a reminder the week before that I'm coming in for a visit. I need a reminder the day before. I need a reminder that morning. And since things are automated now, that's not, it's not a big ask, but I had to move past my hesitancy to ask people when I needed help. And I was always the helper. As the pastor, people would come to me because they, they needed help um, in terms of finances or food or whatever. So I was the one um, on the giving end for so long. And it was a little bit hard to be on the receiving end to say, I can't do this. I don't understand this. I don't know what this means. Can you help me? Or, you know, I just can't do this by myself. And um, it gives people the chance to be the helper. It gives people a chance to um, to extend their gifts and to use their gifts. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen this with care partners where um, people um, have offered to stay with a loved one so that that care partner could go out for a lunch or a, um, whatever, um, you know, to oh, they don't want to impose on, on the person or they don't want to um, feel needy. Um, but I think that it, when we let people help us, then we're letting them use their gifts. Yes. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I say that all the time. Sometimes you ask someone to do something for you and you're helping them more than they're yeah. helping you, especially older people or retired people. They have a lot of time on their hands. They're looking for things to do. They want to be helpful and useful. Right. And they can they can help you with tasks or anything that anything you need. Don't be afraid to ask. Right. It's been wonderful. I've, um, I've, I know of um, several uh, families in my area who are living with dementia and the things that they do together um, bring them such joy. I was thinking about a, a couple that they work in the food pantry and, um, and they um, stock the shelves. And I thought this is something looking for an activity that you can do with, with mm-hmm. a person. Um, so everybody feels like they're serving. Everybody um, gets, you know, that, that feeling of, of satisfaction for, for helping others. We all like mm-hmm. to, to have that feeling. What did you do before you became a pastor? Oh, I've had an interesting life, but um, it uh, gets better. <laughs> well, I have had lots of jobs, but before I was a pastor, I worked at Dun and Bradstreet in technical support oh for my for fifteen years. So I was the person on the phone wow. where people would call and say, "I can't connect. Um, my terminal, my computer's not working," and I would. Um, by phone, um, say, you know, tell me about your equipment. What do you have? It's black. Okay. Um, <laughs> does it have anything on it that gives us a name? You know, so we were just starting. Um, but I wow. did that for a long time, 15 years. But meanwhile, I was busy in my church um, in, in New Jersey, te- you know, helping with the Sunday school program and um, moving my way up. Um, and my pastor suggested that I I consider taking some classes at seminary. It took me five years going part-time to seminary. If you went full-time, it would be like three, but mm-hmm. um, it was a 101 credits. It was a long program for wow. that master's. 
um, in divinity with Greek and Hebrew and all kinds of stuff. But I loved um, being with people and working with them and being with, with people. It's such an, a privilege because you're really with people in their seasons of great joy, marriages, um, births and baptisms and um, sadness of people, um, you know, on uh, end of life care and um, those those two um, and everything in between. Um, and what a blessing. Um, mm. And I bet you were very good at it. I loved it. And I that's why mm. it was so hard when I left the church. It's not that I wanted to leave it, but I just couldn't do it. Um, the way it needed no. to be done. You know, I couldn't right. say to you, so Marianne, um, when you were here last month, we talked about this situation in your family. Um, well, you know, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know why we had talked before. You, you know, sometimes people would come in and pick up where we left off. And it was like, I don't remember this at all. Are we planning? Mm. And it's terrible if you make a mistake and say, how is your mother? And you say, you, oh. you, did, my, you did my mother's funeral. Um, you know, that's just... Um, that's a dagger in somebody's heart, you know? Um, um, so I, you know, I tried faking it for a long time, but that, you know, I just had notebooks and notebooks of notes that I could never find anything in. Um, anyway, mm. um, this is, you know, I think it's um, been just such, um, what's the word I want to say? I, I was, you know, I had to move from that point of despair, that why me, this, it just felt so unfair that I'd worked so hard. And, um, and then all of a sudden, it just felt like the rug was pulled out. Mm -hmm. um, and I was really mad at God, and I was mad at the situation. And then it complicated things because my own mother was was going through her dementia, symptoms of, of Alzheimer's and, and was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it was just um, a tough time. But moving past that, working through that grief, because it is a grief, it's a loss, mm -hmm. um, to that um, sense of, okay, now what, what, why, from why me to what next? What was it like to have Alzheimer's while your mother was having Alzheimer's? One of the complications of my diagnosis was that we couldn't be the same disease, because look at mom, and look at, you know, I was functioning, I was um, you know, and, and that's why I think we really need to zero in on better um, nomenclature and better um, uh, a better way to diagnose people who are um, worried about cognitive symptoms so that, that, that you have a clear understanding of what's behind those symptoms. And, and sometimes used our words are used interchangeably or they're used in different ways. Um, you know, you might say um, this person has dementia. Um, or this person has Alzheimer's and there's some confusion over what is what. And people will sometimes say to me, well, thank goodness I don't have Alzheimer's. I just have dementia. Um, or, well, okay. Um, th that lack of, of clarity on what, what those words mean and what they're using in a clinical setting is often different than what they're looking at in a research setting. Right. There is a lot of, you know, confusion surrounding the whole diagnosis and then you have different people whose brains are affected in different ways and they show their symptomology yes. in different ways and people don't understand how it is all connected yeah right and for you like in your situation 
being a young, younger woman and your mom must have been elderly by that point. Yes. Two completely different things, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Right. But being able to describe the disease, what's what's causing the symptoms with, with greater clarity um, so that um, everybody's on board and we can speak a common language in terms of looking for services because um, certain treatments that are, are, are helpful with one kind of dementia are not helpful with another kind of dementia. In fact, they're um, counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a serious issue. There's a, there's a lot, lot to be said there. Was there anything else that you wanted to say to the listeners? I think my, my uh, words to the listeners would be to, for whatever life throws at you. Um, and if you are diagnosed with, um, with Alzheimer's or another dementia to focus on what you can still do. Um, you know, you may need to um, make some changes in your, in your schedule. Those, those changes may happen anyway, because um, sometimes our interests change as, as we age and sometimes our interests or our, our hobbies change because of um, different things that have happened in our lives. Maybe we're not able to do the thing we once loved. Um, but look for new ways of, of um, staying active. Don't be afraid to try something new, to take a class or to join an organization. I joined mm. Rotary last year online, um, and I've loved making friends with my fellow Rotarians on Zoom. Um, so that's just one example. But to, to volunteer, to look for ways to stay engaged in the community, look for somebody else that needs help. All very good advice. Thank you so much, Cynthia. It was lovely to meet you and to speak with you, and I wish you well. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, want to thank you for connecting people to your wonderful um, um, group of authors, this wonderful group of people who've written about their experiences. Um, some people living with um, Alzheimer's or another dementia and others are care partners. Others come at, at the disease from a different perspective, but it's all helpful. And it's really important that we, um, we help people to learn more about this and, and what's available. And um, I'm just always um, heartened by the fact that um, research holds the key. And so I'm always encouraging people to consider participating in a clinical research project. Mm -hmm. So the way that we're going to get to the cure is if people step up and help out to do that. That's terrific. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Untangling Alzheimer's and Dementia, an All's Authors podcast. For more details on this episode, please see the show notes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to it wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
For more information on All's Authors, please visit allsauthors.com. While you're there, be sure to browse our online bookstore, where you will find hundreds of carefully vetted books on Alzheimer's and dementia. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Please email your thoughts on the podcast to allsauthors at gmail.com. We are a 501c3 charitable organization totally reliant on donations to do what we do. If our author's stories move you, please consider contributing to our cause. Remember, you are not alone. One can sing a lonely song, but we chose to form a choir and create harmony.